Some of you may be facing something for which there is no human solution. Maybe you're facing a struggle in your marriage. Maybe you're facing a long battle with an illness. Maybe you're facing a financial crisis. Maybe you're facing a problem with your teenager. Maybe you're facing an addiction. Whatever it is, sometimes it's more than we can handle and sometimes it's a problem for which there is no human solution. But here's something to remember. When you turn to Jesus with your problem, you are face to face with God. In this first series, we're going to start where Jesus started. As we think about being face to face with God, we're going to start where Jesus started His ministry because He started in an unusual place. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Luke chapter 4. For context, I would like to go back to chapter 3, beginning of verse 21. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Now here's what I need you to understand about this text. Jesus, when he was baptized, it was the beginning, the starting block, if you will, of his ministry. That was the signal that his ministry was being launched. And as he was baptized, in verse 22 it says that God announced his love for and his approval of his son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And you're probably not surprised by that at all. But what happens next is surprising. Go to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, returned from being baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Mark, in his account of this story, uses the phrase, at once. That is, right after he was baptized, at once, Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the desert. In other words, as soon as his baptism was completed, his 40-day wilderness temptation experience began. As soon as his baptism was completed, his 40-day temptation experience began. You know, some people have the mistaken idea that once you get baptized, that you're free from the devil's power and temptation. Uh, Jerome, one of the early church fathers and scholars, said it best. He said, baptism does not drown the devil. I found that to be true. And immediately after Jesus was baptized, he experienced the most intense time of temptation that anybody has ever experienced. And here's the real surprising part. Jesus didn't just wander into the desert. He didn't just wander into that temptation. The Bible actually says that the Spirit of God led him there. You can see it in verse 1, and you see it on the screen perhaps. Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Now, if you remember what we read in chapter 3, you might want to say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was God's Son whom He loved. He was. I thought God was well pleased with Him. That's right. 
So why did the Spirit of God lead Jesus into the desert to be tempted by Satan? For two important reasons. First of all, to demonstrate His holiness and worthiness to be our Savior. You see, His baptism in the Jordan declared that He was the Son of God. But His testing time in the desert demonstrated He was the Son of God. And watch this. This is so good. This is so important. Up until this point, no one, I mean like no one in all of history had ever resisted Satan's temptations. Ever thought about that? Up until this point in history, no one had been able to ultimately resist Satan's temptations. Starting with Adam, every person who had ever lived had given in to temptation and to sin. But beginning in the wilderness temptation and throughout his ministry, Jesus demonstrated his holiness and his worthiness to be our Savior. You see, the reason he could die for our sins is because he lived a sinless life. The Bible says it this way in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was, what, church? Yeah, thank you. Yet was without sin. See, Jesus faced our enemy, and He demonstrated His holiness and His worthiness to be our Savior, because He never one time gave in to the temptations He faced. There's a second reason that Jesus went through this time of temptation. And that is that Jesus faced our enemy to show us that there's a way out of our temptation. He wanted to show you and to show me that there is a way out of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 puts it this way. No temptation has seized you, taken hold of you, except what is common to man. In other words, you're never going to experience anything that somebody else hasn't experienced before. Now, your temptation might be tough. Your temptation might be intense. Your temptation might be more than you can handle. But it's not something brand new. There is no temptation that's new. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Others have gone through what you've gone through. And God is faithful. Can somebody put an amen there? And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But, watch this. But when you are tempted, not if you're tempted, when you're tempted. Because we're all going to face this. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out. You might want to mark that in your Bible. He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. From the very beginning of His ministry, Jesus began the process of conquering the one who had conquered Adam. So from the very beginning of his ministry, as he launched his ministry, Jesus started the process of conquering the one who had conquered Adam. Jesus fought and won his battle with Satan, and that's why he can help us in our fight with sin. Here's how the Bible describes it, Hebrews 2.18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. I think you can see, can you not, that this really was a decisive moment in the life of Jesus when He faced His greatest enemy, 
but he was also facing our greatest enemy. Now, there are some stories in Luke chapter 4 or some lessons to this story that we can learn as we face the enemy this week. So, go back with me to Luke chapter 4. If you're not there, let's go back there, focus again on Luke chapter 4. And I want to give you two lessons that I've taken out of the text today. Here's the first one. When we are tempted, there's always more at stake than we realize. When we are tempted, there is always more at stake than we realize. Jesus was tempted three times, and each temptation was an attempt to keep Jesus from fulfilling His God-given assignment. Your name doesn't have to be Jesus to know what that feels like. Your temptation with lust is not just a temptation with lust. It's a temptation to keep you from fulfilling your God-given assignment. Your temptation with alcohol is not just a temptation with alcohol. It is a temptation to keep you from fulfilling what God wants to do in your life. Your temptation with that affair or with porn is not just a temptation with an affair or porn. Those are decisive moments in your life when Satan is trying to keep you from doing what God wants to do in and through your life. Pastor Ed Litton said it this way. He said Satan's real mission is to divert us from our real mission. I thought that was so powerful. You see, when it comes to temptation, there's always more at stake than we think. There's always more at stake than we realize. There's always more at stake than just that moment. I want to show you this in Scripture. Look in chapter 4 at the first temptation that Jesus went through. Chapter 4, verse uh, verse 3. Let's just start verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. All right, talk to me a little bit. How long was he tempted by the devil according to that verse? All right, now follow this. He ate nothing during those days. He ate nothing for how many days? Exactly. He ate nothing during those days. And this is where I think sometimes Scripture is just a little bit funny. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them... He was hungry. (laughs) I think I would have been too, don't you? If I hadn't eaten anything for four days, I would have been hungry, much less 40 days. At the end of 40 days, he was hungry. And that's when Satan came knocking. Look at the text. The devil said to him, verse 3, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now listen to me. In that moment, there was a lot more at stake than just his hunger. The two things were at stake. First of all, his future was at stake. He could not fulfill his God-given assignment if he gave in to that temptation. Because if he had given in to that temptation, he would have given in to sin. He would, he would be trading temporary treasures or pleasure for eternal impact. Turn these stones to bread. And that probably looked good, sounded good, and he certainly could have done it. But he would have been trading temporary pleasures for eternal impact. His future was at stake, but also our future was at stake. He could not have been our Savior if he'd given in to, to, into the temptation because then he would have been a sinner just like you and I. You see, when you're tempted, there's always more at stake than you realize. Now listen to me. 
There's always more, more at stake than just what's at stake at that moment. There's more at stake you real, than you realize when you turn on that TV or you turn on that computer. There's always more at stake than you realize on a Friday night. There's always more at stake than you realize when you decide to compromise. Every temptation is an invitation to trade intimacy with God for temporary pleasures. And it breaks my heart when I see people do that. It breaks my heart as a pastor when I see people trade intimacy with God for temporary pleasures. They give up so much for so little. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand when we are tempted, there is more at stake than we realize. Turn these stones into bread. There was more at stake than just his hunger. Here's a second lesson from this text, and that is Satan's goal in temptation is to get you to focus on you rather than on God. We all sometimes struggle with the me monster. We all do. We have the tendency to think about ourselves first. It's pretty easy to do, actually. You're, you're pretty good at it. Well, we all are pretty good at being consumed by self-centeredness or the me monster. And Satan understands that. So at the heart of every temptation is an appeal to your inner desires. Every temptation that Satan used to try to defeat Jesus was a you temptation. Look at it in the text. I'm going to show you all three temptations. Every one of them was a you temptation. The devil said, verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Verse 5, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it's been given to me. And so I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be yours. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Satan's goal is to get you focused on you rather than on God. I want you to hear me say that one more time. Listen to me, church. Satan's goal is always to get you to focus on you rather than on God. What you don't have what you need, what you desire, what you deserve. But every time you have a you temptation, you need to do what Jesus did and give a God response. That's exactly how Jesus did. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone. This is what God says. He gave a God response. Look at verse 8. To the second temptation, Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. For that temptation, He gave again a God response. Look at verse 12. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Each time Jesus faced the enemy, He faced the enemy by giving a God response and by quoting Scripture. D.L. Moody said this, He says, When you think sin, think Scripture. When you think sin, think Scripture. That's great advice for all of us. 
Let me show you this in the Scripture. Go with me, put your finger there in Luke 4. Go with me to the left to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. There's a verse there that I want you to mark, and then we're going to look at a couple other verses. Psalm 119. Verse 11. The psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Watch this. I've hidden your word in my heart. This is the thing that will protect me. This is the the opportunity that I have. I can take your word so I can give a God response to a you temptation. I have hidden your word in my heart so I can give a God response to a you temptation. I've hidden your word in my heart, but watch this, so that I might not sin, watch this, against you. Satan's goal is simple. If he can get you to focus on you, then he can deceive you into sinning against God. All he's got to do is get you to focus on you. And if you will focus on you long enough, what you need, what you desire, what you deserve, if if you'll focus on you long enough, what you don't have, if you'll focus on you long enough, he will convince you to sin against God. We all have the tendency to focus on us so much that we stop focusing on God. That's why when you think sin, you need to think Scripture. But I told you there was another verse I wanted you to, to see in this text. And so I hope you're still in Psalm 119. I want you to skip down, if you will, to verses 36 and 37. There's a prayer in the middle of this psalm. It's a prayer you might want to memorize. It's definitely a prayer you need to have marked in your Bible. It would be a great prayer for you to start your day out with. Psalm 119, verse 36 and 37. Here's what the psalmist wrote. He said, turn my heart toward your statutes or toward your word and not toward selfish gain. In other words, turn my heart toward what you want rather than what I want. God, this is my prayer. Turn my mind toward what you think is best rather than what I think is best. And then he says in verse 37, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Why? Because if I, find, if I focus on worthless things, I'll be drawn in the direction of those worthless things. So turn my eyes away from worthless things. I'll give you an illustration from personal life. My, my son Jonathan, 26 years old, is convinced that I am a bad driver. He's up in the balcony. You can ask him afterwards if you want to. In fact... I'm convinced that within just two or three years, he's going to try to take the keys away from me. That might be overstating it slightly, but not much. I'll tell you why he thinks I'm a bad driver. I'm not a bad driver, by the way. I always remind, I shouldn't say this because it'll happen tomorrow. But I've never had an accident in all the years I've been driving. Now tomorrow, I just set myself up, didn't I? But, but listen to this. This is the reason Jonathan thinks I'm a bad driver. Because I, when I'm driving, I tend to look at things. Anybody else do that? I'm like a golden retriever. Everything gets my attention. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that house. Oh, look, look at that bird. Look, look, look at that motorcycle. And here's the problem with driving like that. When you're looking over here all the time, guess where your hands go? In the direction you're looking. This is not a good way to drive. And so when my hands go in the direction I'm looking, all of a sudden I have to go back like this. The psalmist said much the same thing. He said, turn my eyes away from worthless things. 
Because my hands tend to go in the direction my eyes are going. I tend to go towards the things I'm looking at. I'm drawn in the direction of worthless things. And here's the problem with worthless things. Worthless things don't seem worthless until it's too late. In fact, worthless things often look appealing. Worthless things often look like the thing that will give us happiness. Worthless things look like those things that will give us that satisfaction we long for. That security we've been trying to find. That relationship we haven't had in a long time. Worthless things don't look worthless until it's too late. So that's why the psalmist said in the last part of verse 37, Preserve my life according to your word. Psalmist recognized this is important. Because I'm so easily drawn toward worthless things. God, would you preserve my life? According to your word. In other words, I don't want to end up at some stage in life and think, how in the world did I get here? How in the world did I make such a mess? Verses 36 and 37 are a powerful prayer that would be worth you memorizing. Because there's not a day that goes by that we're not tempted to allow our minds and our eyes and our attention to drift toward worthless things. Things that have the potential to lead us down paths we will one day regret. I've been pastoring now for almost 35 years and here's something I've learned in pastoring for 35 years. You can pick your sin, but you can't pick the consequences. Pick your sin. But you can't pick the consequences. That's why the psalmist was saying, God, this is my prayer. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Because those worthless things are going to ruin my life. So preserve my life. Save my life. According to your word. See, too often we underestimate the power of sin and overestimate our ability to resist it. In every temptation, if you go back to Luke 4, in every temptation that Jesus faced, He did not just exercise self-control. I want you to hear this. Those watching online, I hope that you focus on this. In every temptation, when you go back to Luke chapter 4, the temptation experience of Jesus, it's not just Jesus exercising self-control. It's not just Jesus demonstrating discipline. In every temptation, Jesus demonstrated His faith in His heavenly Father by quoting and obeying Scripture. Every time He was tempted, He demonstrated His faith in His heavenly Father by quoting and obeying Scripture. We've read it, but let's read it again. Luke chapter 4, look at verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written. That is, it is written in the Word of God. It is written, man does not live on bread alone. He was demonstrating his faith in his heavenly Father. Verse 8. Jesus answered, it is written. That is, in the Word of God. Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. He was, again, demonstrating his faith in his heavenly Father. Verse 12. 
Jesus answered, it says, or in other words, it says in the Word, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Once again, demonstrating His faith in God to meet His needs. See, life is filled with decisive moments where you either trust God to meet your needs or you take matters into your own hands. And when you take matters into your own hands, many times you start reaching for worthless things. If you follow the example of Jesus, saturate your mind with Scripture so that when Satan comes knocking, and he will, when Satan comes knocking, you can respond as Jesus did. He's the only one to ever defeat Satan. We've got to follow his example and depend on his strength. Here's the deal. Jesus showed us, didn't he? Jesus showed us that the only way to face the enemy is with the Word of God and faith in your Heavenly Father. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray over you right now. I recognize that a message like this is a time where you're perhaps dealing with some issue in your life. You're struggling with some particular problem in your life. And Satan's goal in that temptation is to get you to focus on you rather than on God. Satan's goal in that temptation is to get you to to give in to that worthless thing so that he can divert you from God's calling on your life. What God wants to do in your life. And right now, wherever you are, whether here in this building or watching online right now, Your response should be this. God, I surrender. Surrender. I'm yielding my heart. I'm yielding my life. I'm bringing to you my sin. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. You know Christ. He has not given up on you. If you know Christ, He has not left you. If you know Christ, He still is in you. But He wants to free you from that which has taken hold of you. And you have to say to Him, I surrender. I need you to help me face this enemy. If you don't know Christ today, you can. You don't have to face the enemy alone. Jesus Christ not only defeated Satan there in that time of temptation, Jesus also defeated Satan ultimately on the cross when he died in your place for your sin. And then when God raised him from the dead, it was verification That salvation is available for all of us. Eternal life is available for anyone and for everyone. You can put your faith in Jesus today by saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and be my Savior. I surrender to you and I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me. I am yours from this day forward. In Jesus' name. I hope that you pray that prayer with me. I hope you'll let me know that you have. And I pray that you'll 
grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in the days ahead. Father, we thank you that you are Lord and you are God and you are good. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who went and faced our greatest enemy and defeated him. May he help us now to face the enemy this day and this week. May we walk in victory, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. We're going to have one song.